Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 12. This week as I was preparing for this message, had a couple of pieces of input that uh, kind of went right along with what I was doing. Uh, and it ties in with the state of Christianity in our world today and especially the threats that are real for many Christians outside of the Western Hemisphere. Uh, one of those comes from, of all places, Time Magazine's online version where they say these things, reports of Christians dying for their faith almost doubled between 2012 and 2013 with more Christians martyred in Syria last year than the worldwide total for 2012. Now that should grab our attention. We should hear the reality of that, those of us, which would be all of us who live and enjoy life in the United States and the relative freedom that we have, not that it's not difficult for some of us to live our faith out on the front lines with society, but it is not nearly as difficult as it is for us, or as it's not difficult for us as it is for those who live in other places, clearly. Last week I told you about a trip that I took to Turkey and some of the things that we saw there. One of the experiences that I had in Turkey took place in the capital city of Ankara. Now, Turkey is kind of one of those Middle Eastern type places that might give some lip service to freedom of religious expression, but underneath the surface is a very noted stand against Christianity in favor of the Muslim uh, Brotherhood and some of those people that are active in that area. And as I was in Turkey and Ankara in particular, we went to an area uh, that was, uh, well, let's just say that I was a little bit nervous about where we were. As we made our way from the bus that had dropped us off in the central part of the city near the Capitol building and near some of the tomb of Ataturk and some of those things, uh, our tour guide, who was a Turkish national, led us on this foot journey through some of the main populated areas there, shops and, you know, some tourism and that kind of thing. But uh, the further we walked, the less people I saw, and, or the fewer people I saw. And uh, as it transitioned from daytime into dark, we found ourselves moving into some of those dimly lit alleyway kind of places. Uh, and I was beginning to get very concerned about our safety when we ducked into one of those small diners that is not on the main path for tourism, and it was chock full of people. The cigarette smoke that hung as we walked in was such that it was kind of one of those scenes from a movie. And they took us not into the main dining area. It was too full anyway for the uh, 20 or 25 people that were in our group. And they took us down this hallway into a room that was actually behind the kitchen. And I was really concerned for our safety by that time. And I was planning my routes of escape in case something started happening around there. Because it's always every man for himself in those kind of circumstances. And as we sat down to eat, our tour leader, not the tour guide, who's a Turkish national, 
But our tour leader, who was a retired Air Force chaplain and had been a pastor in the United States, told us the reason we were at that place was because he wanted us to meet one of the young men and his family who had uh, come to Turkey, of all things, to coach American football at the university in Ankara. But as we discovered in our discussions that led or that, that followed, we discovered that actually his vocation was he was a missionary and an American football coach was his cover. They took us to that place behind everything and out of the way to try to avoid suspicion and try to avoid him and his family being identified with a bunch of Westerners who were there on tour for a biblical sites tour. He sat across from me and I had the opportunity to talk to him at length about some of the things and the condition of Christianity in Turkey. As I said, it is a nation that gives lip service to religious freedom as long as it is not overtly political. But underneath the surface of that is a young population that is suspicious of Christians. That man told me about an incident that had occurred some two years prior. It was in the city of Izmir, which is biblical Smyrna. And it was in 2007 that a Christian publishing company was the target of five young Turkish nationals, all of whom were under the age of 22, who went in and got the three Christian workers. Two of them were Turkish converts out of Islam to Christianity. The other one was from Germany. And those three Christians at that publishing company were bound, tied to chairs, gagged, and tortured until finally they were killed. That was the first time that it really hit me that some people really are in harm's way when it comes to living out their Christian faith. We get a little bit up in arms here in America when we feel like our religious rights are being threatened. I'm not going to pass judgment right or wrong on us getting up in arms about that, but the reality is, at least at this point in our American society, we're not in danger too much of being killed for our faith. That's not to say that that couldn't change tomorrow or next year or the next decade. One of the things that we have to get, and we've been talking about this as we're working our way through Genesis 12, is that living by faith, that is the noteworthy life according to Hebrews, living by faith can be a dangerous proposition for us. It's probably a good place for me to just stop and say, if it's not dangerous for you, you may not be running in the right circles. But that's probably a whole nother set of sermons. The reality is that living our Christian faith out can be and probably should be a dangerous proposition for us. And so the question comes, because that is a true statement, from where should we draw courage in the face of that danger? 
I know that the Christian, the religious answer is that we should just look to God. And we know that. Okay, That's not a brand new piece of information. We, we, we draw courage from, from God himself. And that's true. Matter of fact, if that's where you are, you can just go ahead and go because that's the whole sermon here. Although I've got a few other things to add to that, I think. As we come to this Thanksgiving season, I want to build off of last week's message. You remember last week's message? No, you don't remember. Why would I even say that? Last week's message was entitled, yesterday, well, you may remember what it was. It wasn't yesterday's manna has worms in it. That's part of what I said. Are you eating worms? In other words, from that Old Testament, the book of Exodus, that point of reference with children of Israel told to get manna and get enough for the day and don't get enough for two days because if you get two days worth, it'll have worms in it tomorrow. The point of the whole message was yesterday's manna has worms in it. We need to hear from God and, and commune with God on a daily basis. That's the life of faith. But I want to go from that... And that whole idea that yesterday's manna has worms in it. I want to step into the Thanksgiving season and I want to offer this basic encouragement to us today. And that is though yesterday's manna has worms in it, yesterday's manna experience helps us to find courage for the day. We move from worms to courage. I find that in Abram's life here. It's a single verse today. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8. Here's what we read. From there he, that is Abram, moved. Excuse me. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. I, I want us to begin with the yesterday part of this whole thing. And we're going to come to what we, where we find this in Scripture in just a second. But let me kind of push our thinking and nudge us into the common direction this morning that we think together around this, uh, about this. This is Thanksgiving season. If you're like me, you're going to have your fill of turkey and family by the end of this week. Now we're excited because our kids are coming and my folks are coming down for the day and... Uh, we're, we're looking forward to spending some time together. This is, I've told you before, this is my favorite holiday of the whole year. It's a good time for us to come back, whether you're going to be with family or not. Thanksgiving is that season that we, at least as a nation, have tried to say, let's sit back and let's go shopping. Well, at least that's what it seems to be coming more and more for us. But we should expect that as Christians. It's a secular society. This is not a nation that is given to worshiping Christ like we do. It's just not. Whether it should be, whether it ever was or not, we can debate that and discuss that. But the reality is the America that we have in front of us today does not believe like most of us do. And so it's, in, it's really important, I think, for us to hold on to some things and not be so influenced by what's around us in society that we get a jump start on the Christmas season. I'm all for the Christmas season. We wouldn't even be here as a church if it wasn't for the Christmas season. But let's pause at Thanksgiving and give some reflection where it needs to be, some acknowledgement of the blessing that we find in our yesterdays. 
I went to Facebook. And um, Facebook is a great option for sermon preparation. So I brought my phone today. And I don't know if Jerry Black's here, but I expected him to call me once I had this pulled out here. So um, that's a long story. But I, I went to uh, Facebook. And, and I asked for a little help in preparing this sermon on Friday. And here's what I said. I'm thankful. I wanted you to fill in the blanks. Okay. And many of you did. And I appreciate that. And as I said in here, I might use the material, but I'm not going to quote any, or not give anybody's name out. And I'm going to even take it a step further than that. And I'm not going to use any of the posts that church people gave. Okay. You can go read those if you want. Uh, but I'm going to give you some of the ones from people that are not part of our church. And uh, I just got a text from somebody. <laughs> Shut up and move on. No, that's not, that's not what it said. So here's what I asked for, okay? I said, fill in the blank here. I'm thankful that God showed up in my life when blank. I have to tell you, it has been a continuing worship experience for me to read your responses to that. This season, one of the things that bothers me about, um, <laughs> y'all stop, quit sending me texts. Um, one of the things that bothers me <laughs> um, about this season is that we fall into cliches so quickly. And if I say, what are you thankful for? One of the first answers is going to be, well, I'm thankful for my family. Well, that's okay. I've met your family. I'm not sure that you're really where you ought to be with it. No, I'm just kidding about that. I'm just kidding about that. Um, it, we get really cliche-oriented this time of the year. And here's the deal about cliches. The reason they become cliches is because there's so much truth in them, usually. And so I'm not suggesting that we push them away. But I am suggesting that we dig beneath the surface, even of our cliches, okay? Because uh, what we find is that, that the truth of the time of the season of Thanksgiving uh, can be very worship-inducing for us. Let me give, give you a few examples here. This, this is one from somebody Remember, what I asked you to do was, I'm thankful that God showed up in my life when blank. And so this person says, when I had nothing else to cling on to, and I felt like the world was against me, then God stepped into my life and my heart, and the things that seemed to be mountains in my life, God turned into dirt piles. That's awesome, right? Teresa was telling me that she was reading some of this on a break at work. And she had to just stop because as she's reading through this, it just tears started coming. You know, there's something about giving testimony to what God has done in your life that reaches across out of your life into the lives of other people. So here's another one. Here's a guy. I know him well. I know his story. I was astounded when I read his fill in the blank was when I was at my lowest in life and I felt my life wasn't worth living anymore. God showed up. 
There's some powerful stuff here. Apparently, God doesn't just work with me or with you. A girl I went to high school with. I'm thankful that God showed up in my life when I didn't even know that I needed his protection. Another guy said God showed up. Let's see if I can find it. God showed up when he had no one else. He said specifically, I had no parents to call my own. And God showed up. All day long, I kept looking at these things and seeing some of you specifically. Evidence of the yesterday of your life with God. Now, it encouraged me. But it wasn't limited to me. I actually had several people, some from here and some from other places, who instant, it's not instant message, whatever it is through Facebook, Messenger or whatever that's called. They, they sent me a private message in response to this because their experiences were God, with God were so intense and so personal they just didn't really feel like it was for human consumption. Except as a point to me to say, I know that God has been real in my life. That stuff's beyond and beneath the cliches of Thanksgiving. So I want to encourage you this week to dig a little bit. When you gather as a family, if you're going to do that, when you sit and reflect a little bit in the quiet moments before the parades and before the football and before the eating and the hunting and whatever else you're going to do, reflect backwards. Where has God shown up in your life? What we find happening with that is that as we reflect backwards, we find that God's activity yesterday has legs today. You understand what I mean by that? There's value, not just for the memory of that. There's something that we take from that that pulls us into the dirty, hard, dangerous now of our lives. I know every time we get to Thanksgiving season, I look out across the people that I know in church work. Some here and some in other places. And I know that many people are going through the darkest of dark times this time of the year. What's to give thanks for in their case? And the best answer that I can give is look backwards. If you can't see that in the now, then look backwards and let God's activity with you in the past mean something today because it will. If I remember to say it, I'll get to it at the end. I'll go and say it now in case I forget. Don't think for a second that God carried you through all of the stuff of the past only to drop you today. So when we get that, when we reflect backwards and, and that pulls forward into the now for us, it gives us courage and it gives us praise opportunity. This ought to be a time of worship for us this season because it's, if nothing else, if you can't trace God's hand in your life today, look at it yesterday and let it mean something for you today. Because in the today is where we fight the battles 
It's that martyrdom stuff that I'm talking about at the beginning of this message comes in for us. And we may not be afraid for our lives today, but many of us are afraid for our reputations today. Many of us are afraid that if we talk too much about our faith in God, then it's going to cost us something on the job or with our friends. And let the reality of God at work in your life yesterday embolden you today in the face of those threats. This world needs the testimony of lively Christians. Let's look at Abram's experience here. Verse 8. We find ourselves in verse 8, but I'll use just the first part of it here to point backwards to verse 7. It says in verse 8, from there. Let me just stop and make sure that we're all on the same page here. The there happens to be Shechem. It's in verses 6 and following that we find it, but especially in verse 7. Abram's experience in the yesterday was when God showed up for him at Shechem. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, verse 8, it points us back to that moment that situation in Abram's life when God showed up definitively for him. But Abram moves on from there. We're going to come to some of that as we go forward, that some of that moving on is dangerous for us. But it says from there he moved on. And we continue to read in verse 8, and it says, He moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And that doesn't sound like such a big deal for us. All in all, Abram moved about 20 miles to the south. Sounds like not that big a deal. Between here and Winnie somewhere is where he would have left here and gotten that far and thrown his tent up. Not that big of a deal. Except that what we find him doing here is moving into the heart of that land called Canaan. And as I mentioned it to you last week, and I think maybe even the week before, what we find in Abram in this particular piece of property is one of the most pagan centers in all of the known world at that. Now, maybe not the most pagan. They're all pagan at that point. But in this particular area, the crossroads of civilization that kings would fight over, this place was probably already some 200 years old as far as having people there by the time Abram shows up. They are well entrenched in their paganism. And he goes to this place. We call it Bethel. Sounds great as it just rolls off our tongue. Maybe a better way for us to do it is to get the accent right. It's Bethel. It literally means the house of the God. Now, by the way, this would be a God with a small g because it's a pagan worship center. So what Abram is doing now is he's moving deeper into the heart of this pagan land and he's taken his faith with them. And so verse 7 has to come into play for us as we get to verse 8. He moves from where God showed up and he built an altar and he worshiped. He goes deeper into the heart of Palestine, what is... We call Palestine today the land of Israel. And there, and there he does something amazing. Or at least it is to me. He sets up shop. It says, and he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. And that sounds great to us, but we don't totally get the picture here until we understand that it says he's somewhere between Bethel and Ai. That's a two mile stretch. Somewhere, that's from here to Walmart, between those two cities or towns. 
And somewhere in between there, Abram sets up camp. The reason that's significant is because Bethel is the house of the God. That's the place that is a shrine. It's a cultic pagan worship center. And so the people from Ai two miles away would have frequented that place to go do their pagan worship. And so somewhere in between there, Abram sets up shop. On the road from regular living to pagan worship, Abram sets up shop. That would be the equivalent of us going down here roughly to the liquor store and saying, okay, we're going to do business right here as a church. Some of you going, I didn't know Road Tram knew there's a liquor store down there. <laughs> and there he built an altar to Yahweh. In harm's way, flagrant worship. That is the call to us. And that's challenging to us. Because we like the nice, comfortable Christianity that we have and we start throwing the doors open and we start finding that maybe people out there don't believe like we do and maybe it's a little bit risky for us to step out there and so maybe it's a little better for us to just kind of pull back and we'll just mind our own business here on our little piece of property and, and everything will be okay. But, but Abram's example just won't let us do that. Neither were the words of Jesus who said to his disciples, get out there where they are. And it's courage sapping for us living out on the front lines. So this holiday season, this Thanksgiving season, I want to encourage you to go beyond the cliches of the season. Reflect seriously on what God has done in your yesterday. You walk with him today and you listen to what he has to say to you today. Because yesterday's manna has worms in it. But yesterday's manna experience is proof positive that God is at work in your life. And if he brought you this far, he is not going to drop you now. So take courage from yesterday. Take it into today's battle. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's bow and pray. And as we do this, I'm going to be a little more directive in this invitation than I normally am. More than anything, I want you to respond to whatever God is laying into your heart and mind as I speak this morning. Some of you may have come in here today and you don't really have a yesterday with God. And what I mean by that is you, you know the church drill and the church routine and all of that. But when you look backwards, you're not sure that you can ever go to a specific time that God really showed up in your life and proved himself to be real and to prove that he loves you. So let me just say to you, if you don't have that kind of experience with him, today could be that day. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose birth we are about to celebrate in just over the next few weeks, is the proof positive that God has shown up in your life. Jesus came and lived the life that qualified him to be as the Son of God and yet fully human. He, 
He paid the sacrifice so that you could have a relationship with God that is as real as any relationship you have. And all of that's because God loves you and He wants you to have the life that only He can give you. If you've never had God show up in your life, then He's waiting at the door of your heart right now, showing up to give you life. If you don't know what that means, but you know that you got to deal with that, then this invitation is for you. And I invite you to come down. We'll talk with you about that. No pressure. Just talk with you, pray with you. But I invite you to come and make Jesus Christ your Savior, your Lord. Some of us have long histories with God. Maybe today is the day that you look around and you go, you know what, it's been a while since I've had that kind of close fellowship with Him. And I can go back and I can count the victories of the past, but I feel like I'm living in defeat today. Jesus says, I haven't abandoned you. So the invitation for you would be to come to a new point, a new point of commitment, connection. This Thanksgiving season moves all of us to reflect. This is a personal thing, this thing called Christianity. It's not a religion. It is worth dying for. And it's worth living for too. So Father, we pray that you would take this time move in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.